This morning's scripture reading comes from a selected passages from Genesis chapter 27, verses 18 to 34. Verse 18. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Verse 22. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Verse 26. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. This is God's word. We're starting a new series. Uh, we started last week, and uh, we're calling it Dining with the King because in many narratives of the Bible, uh, we, it takes place in the context of a meal. And uh, these ancient meals, they were intimate, and we said that they were they're relational and they're incredibly deep. And, and as you look at these texts that we're going to be going through over the course of the next several months, we learn something very special, very important about God through each of these meals. Now, last week, we looked at the life of Abraham. This week, look, Abraham had two sons, but only one of those sons, the one that was born later, was born of the promise, and that was Isaac. See, God had promised to Abraham that he would save the entire world through one of his descendants. It means one child will be chosen to bear the seed of the promise. He's going to be the savior for his, his family and his clan. And what's going to happen is over the course of time, he's going to lead them. He's going to pass on the values that uh, generations would follow in the name of God. And every generation, you would have this savior, so to speak, rise up and save his people, his family, his clan, until the ultimate savior would come. And that ultimate savior will basically eradicate evil from the face of the entire earth. Isaac was born of this promise. Now, Isaac marries Rebekah, but there's a conundrum. Rebekah has twins. Rebekah has twins. The elder one is named Esau, and the other son is Jacob. Which one is the seed of the promise? So we get all the way to the end of Isaac's life in Genesis chapter 27. That's the passage we just read. And Isaac is now close to death. He can't see. Um, and he tells Esau to go out to hunt game, to fix the meal, to receive this blessing before he's about to die. 
And Rebecca is furious. Rebecca is furious because Isaac has chosen his favorite and he didn't choose Rebecca's favorite. And so she schemes and she dresses Jacob up to look like Esau. He puts fur on him so that he would feel like Esau. He prepares food for him and the food has this aroma. It's pungent. And and after a while, he starts to smell like Esau. And this way, Jacob can basically go in and steal this blessing, take this blessing away, all in the context of this intimate meal that has been prepared. And so we have three points today. We have the need for this blessing, how we try to get this blessing, and uh, lastly then, how you actually get the blessing. The need for the blessing, our efforts, our personal efforts in trying to get this blessing, and lastly then, how you actually get the blessing. First, we're going to look at the need for this blessing. Rebecca and Jacob, they knew. They knew time is running out. Esau is going to show up. Isaac's going to find out. They had to act. They had to act right now to get it. What is it? What is this blessing? Esau says in verse 34, bless me too. I understand you made a mistake. Bless me too. Isaac says it's too late. Jacob already took it. Why didn't Isaac at that moment say, you know, Jacob lied to me. My own son lied to me. He's a fraud. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to bless you and said, I made a mistake. I take it all back. Instead, he says, I can't take it back. I will not take it back. I already sustained the blessing with the grain and the wine. It's sealed. It's sealed with a meal. What is it? Commentators say, social commentators, biblical scholars, they all say the same thing here. They say that blessings are, are symbolic. They're symbolic actions with genuine authoritative power. They have an abiding power, the, the words that are said in the blessing, in blessings that we hear, to shape our lives. In other words, words have the power to make or break your soul. Words of affirmation, words of condemnation have genuine power, in a sense, to speak into you, to pass into your life, to become a part of you, to become a part of your soul. The ancient people, they knew this. Ancients knew this. They understood this. Our egos are so fragile that even the most casual common, the most casual common can make or break you. How much more are words that are put forth then in an official capacity, in a formal capacity. How much more do they have authoritative matter? You ever go to a graduation ceremony? It's, on one hand, it's just a piece of paper. But the way it's set up, the formality, the authoritative nature of the words, they have a power to make or break your soul. That's what this blessing was. Now, a blessing, what is it? A blessing is this accurate spiritual assessment of who you really are. It's the use of powerful words, powerful gestures to encourage someone to grow into what they already are. And so when Isaac blesses Jacob, you know, when Isaac blesses, he knew what he did. He absolutely knew what he was doing. He knew what he did. Even if it was a mistake, he knew that he had empowered Jacob with his entire kingdom, so to speak. He empowered him with everything that he had, everything that he was, it was being passed down. We all deeply want that. We all deeply need that. That's what the Bible is saying. First of all, why? Why is this the case? No one can bless themselves. There's not a single person in this room that can bless themselves. There's not a single person in this room that can validate themselves. That's why they so desperately, we so desperately need the affirmation of the person near us. Take an artist. Take a musician. You know, many artists, musicians here. Take a doctor. Take an analyst. 
Take an attorney or a teacher or a pastor. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you are. We like to say, you know, I don't really care what other people think. That's what we like to say to ourselves. I don't really care what other people think about me. But you do. And in a way, you need to. And here's why. You can't bless yourself. If you think this way, you know, everyone in the world thinks I'm a mediocre person. But it doesn't matter because I think I'm incredibly beautiful. Does it work? Does it work for you? You know, everybody here thinks I'm a horrible writer. You know, every time I pass this document over to somebody and ask them to read it, it takes them forever to read it. They don't understand it. They always look confused. And they tell me at the end, you know, could use some work. But I don't believe that. I believe I'm a good writer. Is that going to work for you? Doesn't work. What do you need? You need a beautiful person to come to you and say, wow, you are beautiful. You need an intellectual person to come to you and tell you, I think you're really intelligent. I think you're brilliant. A person desiring talents needs somebody with a tremendous amount of talent to come to them and say, wow, you are talented. How does anybody assess their work? Think about it. We all need affirmation. We all need validation from a father, from a mentor, from a partner, from a director, from your boss. Everybody needs that. Everybody wants that. You're afraid of it. You're apprehensive of it. But you need it. How else will you know that you have value, right? Isaac hears Jacob come. And Isaac says, who is it? He's questioning identity. Who are you? Jacob says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Robert Alter, who is a professor at Brandeis University, transferred over to Berkeley, and uh, probably a, a liberal scholar, and yet at the same time, he's probably one of the foremost scholars in the Hebrew language, biblical Hebrew language. He says, when you look at this phrase, the last word in the sentence, when you're questioning identity, the last word in the sentence is the focal word. For instance, if you look later on in the passage, Esau shows up. The latter, maybe four or five verses, Esau shows up, and uh, he brings game, what he hunted. He's being genuine. He shows up. And Isaac asks, who are you? And Esau says, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. There's a relationship. You know my name. You know who I am. The focal point is in the name. But here, he says, who are you? Jacob enters, and he says, I am am Esau. Your firstborn. There's this focus on the firstborn. Jacob is fixated on the firstborn concept. In a patriarchal society, you didn't have banks. There were no banks. There were no banking systems. There was no 401k plan. So what you did was you centralized all of your wealth, the entire wealth of the family or the clan, passed down over generations, was focused and centralized around the firstborn son, the eldest son. The eldest son received the inheritance. The elder son bears the responsibility of distributing this wealth to the rest of the family over the course of time until he gets old, and that's why there was such a need for the firstborn. The future of the family was wrapped up in this firstborn son. Primogeniture, all the ancient uh, cultures practiced it. A lot of Eastern cultures today practice it. But in this family in particular, the blessing was also tied to God's promise that the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of the world, would come through a member in his family. It had to be the firstborn. It just had to be the firstborn son. Isaac loved Esau. He saw himself in Esau. 
Esau was a man's man. Esau was a hunter. He was strong. He had natural leadership capability. He must be the seed, right? That's Isaac. He's thinking, he said, this is a son cut from my own skin, cut from my own heart. This man, he has to be it. And so over the years, Isaac informally blessed Esau. He doted on Esau. He loved Esau. You heard the poem. You read the poem here, what he said. He broke out into song as he's blessing Jacob, thinking that it's Esau, but he breaks out in song. There's poetry from Isaac's mouth. Whenever he thought of his son Esau, there was, there was, there was a song. There was poetry. He says, there's no one like you. It's having this uniquely valuable person, validation, saying to you, you are so uniquely precious to me. In 1982, in the NCAA Basketball Men's Championships, you had Georgetown against UNC, historic game. Fifteen lead changes back and forth throughout the course of that game. Just over 17 seconds left in the game. Final, final half, right, second half. 17 seconds left in the game. UNC is down by one. I believe it was 62-61. I, I think that was a score. Dean Smith, legendary coach, calls a timeout, brings them in. Now, if you know anything about this UNC team, it was star-studded. Many all-stars and Olympians came out of that one team. And so who's he going to draw this play up? He's drawing up a play. Who's going to get the ball? Who's going to get the glory? Who's going to bear the responsibility for the entire school, the entire city, the entire state, so to speak? James Worthy was supposed to get the ball. He was the senior member of the team. He's a bona fide player, an all-star. Became an all-star in the NBA, actually multiple NBA titles. Sam Perkins was supposed to get the ball. Perennial all-star in the NBA. Made it to the NBA finals, no, at the least, of a few times. Who's he going to draw the, the play for? Coach Smith turns to a young freshman named Michael Jordan. And he says two words to him. Make it. That's it. 17 seconds left. Michael Jordan says to this day, that play shaped his life. That affirmation shaped his life. Jacob, he says, I can be that. I can be your firstborn son. He's deluded into the thinking, I can do that. I can be that. I should be Esau. Give me that formal blessing. I can do what he did. I can be what he did. I can be what you want me to. I might not have all the gifts that Esau has, but I have other gifts too, right? I can be what you want me to be. I want it. I need it. We all want it. We all need it because it shapes our lives. And as a result, because of our brokenness, because of our egos, because of our weak psyches, it poisons our families. It uplifts some children and destroys others. It makes us and breaks us all in the same lifetime. We need it. How do you get it? How do we try to get it? Well, very simple. You see in this text, Jacob, he dresses up like Esau. We all dress up to act and be like someone else. Jacob, he gets hairy like Esau. He tried to change his voice like Esau. He still sounded like Jacob. He just couldn't be himself. He just couldn't stand himself. There's self-loathing, self-hate there. So he's running from himself. He's hiding from himself. He's covering over himself. Literally, he felt inadequate enough, never felt good enough to receive his father's love. That's Jacob. And we're all kind of like that. 
We don't, we don't really let people see who we really are. We don't like that. We run from ourselves all the time, our weaknesses and our fears and our brokenness. We're constantly doing that. I'm going to give you some examples. First of all, some, some of us are in jobs. Some of us are in careers, for that matter, that you hate. Why? Why are you staying there? Why are you stick with it? Because of status. You know that you went all the way. There's no turning back. And you get some status with this. To leave this would be to walk away from the acceptance that you've received. People respect you. Some of us, we do it because our parents bless us. Our parents accept us. The powerful word of a parent to push us all the way. It's going to make them proud and it makes you proud when you hear their affirmation. That's my affirmation, we say. And so literally, you give up the, you give up, you know, in high school, you try to dress like your peers and you look at, you know, you look at pictures from high school and you realize how ridiculous you looked. You traded one uniform in. You got rid of that uniform. And instead, you put on a different uniform. You dress like your coworkers. You dress up, and you go out. Relationships. There are people in this room who say, if I just have that one person in my life who will love me, dote on me, affirm me, validate me, that's my affirmation. Sometimes that's actually why you stay in the job and the career that you hate. It actually kind of cascades. The reason why we do that is because if I do that, then I can just get that one person who will respect me, who will love me, who will validate me, who will affirm me. And so you put on dress, you put on clothes in a sense, you put on a personality, you put on certain actions, you hang out with certain types of people, you become somebody that you're not to put yourself out there. You want to look polished, you want to look good. That's why we do that. Sometimes it kind of works the opposite way too. We work against our parents' approval. You know, you said, you know, all I did was grow up and my parents didn't affirm me. So you know what? I'm not going to get their approval. I'm going to work against their approval. I'm going to do everything that they wouldn't approve. And I'm going to do things, I'm going to not do things that they would approve. I don't really care what they think, but you do. You do care. You know why? Because the bitterness and the resentment. You built up this bank of bitterness and cynicism and resentment against your parents because their words still affect you. Their words still hurt you. If you take a look at um, church, there's a lot of us who are just dressing up at church. You want to look like a Christian. You want to look like a scholar. You want to look intelligent. You want to look knowledgeable. You want to look like you've, you've been, you, you get it. That's what you want to do. But you're not really letting people in. You're covering over your, your brokenness. And you know what you do when you cover over with your brokenness? You know what you cover it up with? Gossip. You feel guilty. You hide from your guilt. And the reason why you do this is because you desperately want acceptance. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve covering themselves over with fig leaves to hide their shame because of their sinfulness, we've been dressing up to cover over our shame, our inadequacy and we put on the clothes of other people. So you can't, I mean, Jacob's a fool. But to say that Jacob's a fool is to say you're a fool. To say we're fools. That's what we are. So Jacob brings this meal. It's very pathetic and sad. Jacob brings this meal, and he feels like Esau. And he smells like Esau. And and Isaac is responding to him in a way he realized that he's never experienced before in his life. 
In a sense, he's bringing this meal that he didn't catch. It's fake. His mom prepared the meal. And he's bringing this meal, and he smells like Esau, and he feels like Esau. And he himself has a sense for a moment, I am Esau. And he walks in, and uh, in this context, in the context of this intimate meal with his father, probably one of the first that he's ever had, he lays it all down, and for the first time in his life, he hears the song. The first time in his life he gets the intimacy that's been so elusive all of his life and he gets the affirmation and he gets the love and he's getting the doting. He gets to kiss. He gets to kiss his father. His father says, kiss me. He gets to kiss his father in a way that the favorite son gets to kiss the father. And it's intimate. And he hears the words. Finally, he gets to hear the words. Verses 27 to 29. You know what? I'm going to read this. Ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field. It's not a generic song. It's like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. What a blessing, right? May the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. For the first time in his life, he gets to experience the blessing of being the elder son. But he didn't feel blessed. Not for long. I mean, he finally got the words. He finally got the smile. But how did it make him feel? If you look at the later chapters, immediately after, he's on the run. Verse, and, and what happens, it sets a cascade, a chain of events that ruins practically his, his family, practically. But you see the bitterness. All his life, he's been trying to get his father's love. And he finally gets his father's love. But it's not him. He knows. And Esau is coming, and he didn't feel blessed. And you see see Esau in verse 30, he says, gosh, Esau wants blood. From verses 30 and on, you see that. I'm going to kill my brother. Esau's life is distorted by anger and distorted by pride. Tremendous pride because he's been doted on all his life. Isaac, in a sense, loses his son because of his disappointment. Rebekah, in a sense, loses her son through this. Jacob loses his entire family, his people, his culture. He has to leave his home, everything that he has. All he's got, all he ever wanted was the blessing. How do you apply this story? And let's take a moment. Let's think about the application of the story. A lot of people are going to say to you here, that there are two very simple, simple uh, applications from this. One, you got to be better parents than this. Parents, you got to be better than that. You got to do better than that. You need to learn all the deep sins of your children. You need to know all the weaknesses and the flaws of your children, the deep inner flaws, the inadequacies, the ego, the things that make or break their psyche, and you have to address it. You have to build them. The second thing you're going to hear is you got to be careful with your words. Because words have the staying power, the power to heal, the power to build, the power to destroy. But if you, if you really think about it, you, that can't be it. A moral application of this narrative, you can't, I mean, you're telling me this entire story has been written so that to tell people, be better parents and be careful with what you say? 
a moral application of this story, this narrative, cannot be just be better families and be careful with your words. Especially if you think about it, God chose to bless the most screwed up member of the family. So the moral can't be be a better family. God chose to bless the screwed up member of the family. In verse 33, when it dawned on him, when it dawned on him that Jacob took the blessing, Isaac, it says, Isaac trembled violently. Trembled violently. And then he goes on and says, yes, he was blessed. Indeed, he will be blessed. What Isaac's saying is, yes, Jacob's a fraud. Yes, Jacob is a thief. Yes, I've been conned and you've been conned by Jacob. But he will be blessed. What's really going on here, Isaac is learning two major lessons this. Two major lessons. One, he's beginning to realize that Jacob was a fraud, but God chooses to work and God chooses to bless the fraud. God chooses to work through the frauds and the thieves. God chooses to work through the weaker over the stronger. God chooses to work through the younger, not the elder. That's how God works. If, that, if, anything, if there's a lesson in any of this, you've got to be weak. Nothing takes away gossip like being weak. Nothing takes away uh, bitterness in the family than being humble, than being weak. Nothing will begin to heal your life, in a sense, than when you begin to be weak. There's somebody sitting here today, they've always been overlooked, they've always been rejected in their lives. And uh, this message is telling you that God is doing 10,000 things today for His glory and for you, your good through your weakness. Not in spite of your brokenness, not in spite of anything, all the, uh, uh, you know, the things that you had to overcome, all your hurdles. But God is choosing to weak, work through your weakness, through your brokenness, through your inadequacy, through all the things that you didn't have that other people have. There's nothing about Jacob. If you think about this, commentators say this, scholars will say this, but if you look at the text and look at the entire narrative of Jacob, there is nothing in any of these chapters in Genesis that tell you, that show anything about Jacob as a good person. If you knew Jacob, you wouldn't like Jacob. You would judge Jacob in a sense. There is no passage in this entire Bible, in the book of Genesis at the least, where you see the narrative of Jacob unraveling and unfolding, where you say, there's a man that I would want to be like. Jacob doesn't seek after God. Jacob doesn't know that God is there. Jacob doesn't, de- he doesn't deserve God's love. He resists God's love. He doesn't even appreciate God's love after God blesses him later on in the book of Genesis. And yet, even after he's saved by it, he doesn't, he's not necessarily thankful for it. And yet, God brings his scandalous, intervening grace into Jacob's life, and he blesses him. Not because he's earned it, not because he deserves it, not because he knows God, not, not even because he's seeking God, not even because he prays to God. You don't see that here in this text. If anything, he's running from God, and yet God blesses him. Isaac's starting to understand this. He's finally starting to grasp this foundational understanding of grace. The second thing that Isaac realizes, because you see in verse 33, he says, indeed, he will be blessed. 
What he's saying is, all my life, or at least all of my children's lives, I've been resisting God. I've been resisting God. And now, why did he tremble violently? Because the Lord was at that meal. God was present at that meal. Whenever you see anything trembling violently in the Old Testament, the wind violently rushes in, the fire violently enters, the presence of God is there. God is present. Jacob, uh, Isaac here, recognizes and realizes that all his chi- all the, the, life, the lives of his childhood, uh, of his children, he's been resisting God. When the twins were born, Rebecca inquired it because, you know, one of them is the seed, one of the seed of the Savior. One of them is going to be the Redeemer. And so uh, Rebecca takes, uh, he, she's confused because there's twins. Who's going, to be the, uh, who's going to be the Savior? Who's going to be the Redeemer here? And uh, the prophecy that came is that the elder will serve the younger. So Rebecca knew. Rebecca had a sense that Jacob was the one to be blessed. But Isaac resisted it. Isaac loved Esau. Isaac doted on Esau. Esau's the natural leader. Esau's the one that everybody likes. Esau's the one that hunts. Esau's the one that's athletic. Esau's the one that is the man's man. Esau's like me. That's what Isaac is saying. And so it was so easy to love Esau. And as a result, now he realizes that what's happened? Jacob has disguised himself as Esau. Esau is broken. Esau is angry and proud. Rebecca is, is cheating. All of this, the family, the corrosion has set in because Isaac has realized, I've been fighting God all my life to get what I want for my children. And as a result, now he realizes God was present. God is present. And he trembles violently and he says, indeed, Jacob will be blessed. He's surrendering. He's giving up. We always say the hardest thing to give is in. He's giving up. He's saying, I get it. I was wrong. I was foolish. I accept it. I surrender. I've been resisting God all my life. I surrender. He recognizes it's all about grace and it's all about surrendering to God's grace. How will you surrender to God's grace? How do you get it? Esau says, no, you can bless me too. Take it back, bless me too. Isaac says, yes. Esau says, no. Isaac says, yes. Jacob will be blessed. How will you surrender like that? Jacob says, I am your firstborn. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. Jacob says, I am the firstborn among my brothers. Romans chapter 8 says, Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. In Mark chapter 1, there's this passage in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is about to get baptized. John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And what happens? The skies open up, the heavens open up, The Spirit of God descends like a dove. And a voice from heaven cries out, This is my Son, whom I love. What's going on there? God, the Father, is doting on His Son, loving His Son, 
affirming his son, validating his son. What he's saying is, you are the one I've chosen. You are the one I love. You are the one that I would send. You are the one who will do what I believed you were brought up to do. What I've raised you to be, you will be. You are the one. But, and he did, and he is, he did it by giving up the blessing. Jesus Christ gave up the blessing on the cross. Jesus Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because he lost his sonship. Jesus Christ gave up the rights of being God's son. At that moment, the wrath of God is being poured out on his son because of our sins. And Jesus Christ was rejected by God, cursed by God, because he's the greater firstborn son. Esau is a firstborn, and he lost a blessing, and he said, I'm going to murder my brother. Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give up the blessing. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to murder my brothers. I don't want them to be murdered. I will be murdered for them. And why? Jesus Christ lost the blessing so that we can receive the blessing. Jesus Christ lost the presence of the Father so that we can receive the presence of the Father. Jesus Christ was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus Christ lost the affirmation, the validation, the love, the doting of the Father. Why? So that we can hear. Every time we look at the cross, you can know that God looks at you and sees you, that when you are a Christian, when you come to trust in the Savior, the saving, the saving work, and the person of Christ, you can say, yes, God looks at me and says, you I, as a uniquely valuable person, the most uniquely valuable person in the world, looks at you and says, you are uniquely valuable to me. That's the affirmation. That's the affirmation that you've been looking for all your life. That's why you're working so hard. You get it? The reason why you work so tirelessly is so that you can feel acceptable in the world. You can say it's about a lot of things. You can say, well, I need to be secure in life. You can say, I, I, need to be, uh, I need to have something that I call my own. But you know what that is? You know what it means to have something to call your own? You know what it means to say, yes, you know, I can say I've made something. I've arrived. You know what that means? It's so that you can have acceptance with a cosmic, you know, the letter C, a, a, cos, a capital letter C, the word cosmic. In a cosmic way, you can say, yes, I've arrived. I've earned it. I can call this my own. I'm valid. I'm valuable. That's why we're doing that. It's the end of work, in a sense. You can rest. It's the end of bickering because it's not about your rights. It's the end of gossiping and snobbishness. You know why? Because you don't have to sit there and point at all these other people who don't live like you and act like you because you're broken, because you're weak, because we're all saved by grace. None of us deserve it. None of us earned it. Jesus Christ earned it, and he gave it up. What kind of picture does that set up for his brothers? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians chapter 3, it's printed in your call to worship. Because Jesus put on sin, he says, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, printed in your call to worship here, he says, as God, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, God is doting on you. 
Clothe yourselves, he says, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And he says, forgive one another. Is he just teaching you good virtues? He's saying, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. Jesus Christ became sin. He dressed up like us. Why? In that sense, he's the greater Jacob. Not so that he could get the blessing, but so that he can give up the blessing. So that we could be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown, the blessing, through Christ my own. Stop the fighting. Stop the bickering. Stop the, com- the competitiveness and surrender to the grace of God. That is the blessing. You know, the way we dress up, we're always saying, you see, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm good at what I do. I'm good into myself. I'm good looking. I'm talking about you, not me. I'm good looking. I'm worthy. I'm valuable. But you're cheating and you're faking and you're manipulating God, and God ain't old, and God ain't blind. He can see. You can't cheat. You don't need to cheat to dress up like your older brother. Jesus has gladly and graciously given himself up for our sakes. He said, you need the blessing. I'm giving it up for you. And then he took on the curse. When you believe in him, you're clothed in him. Salvation through self-effort, that we call that religion, religiosity. A lot more people here are more religious than you think. You're constantly hoping, you're constantly working, you're constantly manipulating people, you're stepping over people in a sense. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to ruin your families. Jacob's family is just a case study But the gospel is God accepts me not based on my record, but based on Christ's record. Jesus Jesus is clothed in our sin, and Jesus clothes, clothes us in his righteousness. That's not cheating. That's not cheating. That's called substitution. That's called imputation. Because of what Jesus did, you know that the love of God, the doting of God, he's saying, you are uniquely valuable to me. You are uniquely, that's the only affirmation you need. It's what you've been looking for, it's all you need. Let that truth heal you spiritually. Let that truth heal your psyche. Let that truth heal you emotionally in every way, in every way. Will you do that? Friends, you need to do that. (laughs) Behold the beauty that is Christ, the perfect righteousness that is Christ. As the elder brother, the greater elder brother who gave up himself so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Trust in that. Look to that. We weren't all gracious this week. 
we weren't all righteous this week. We weren't all innocent this week. Some of you are saying, well, actually, a lot of stuff went down. I wasn't really a part of that. You self-righteous. You're the most self-righteous because you don't see it and you don't get it. Will you surrender to the grace of God? Let's pray together.